God bless and welcome to this week's episode of Family Discussion. We are so glad that you've joined us today. Family Discussion is a podcast of Reform Margins, a site dedicated to providing a platform for people of color to engage the larger Reformed and Evangelical conversations. Jesus teaches us in the Gospel of John that the world will know that we are his followers by the way that we love one another. And yet it seems like the love of Jesus is less and less evident in the way that we speak to and about one another, especially when we disagree. So, in the hopes of recapturing the brother-sister love that Jesus has won for us, we are calling a family meeting. For the next half hour, let's cut through the noise and look at the issues without slander and malice. It's time for a family discussion. Well, God bless and welcome to another episode of Family Discussion. My name is Marcus Ortega, and as always, I am joined by my friend Lisa Spencer. Lisa, how are you today? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. So we are recording. Uh, I know people are going to hear this later in in the into the year a little bit, but this is our first time recording since the new year. So happy new year. Happy new year. Uh, how are you doing? How is how was Christmas, New Year, all that? You know, it was quiet. Uh, we didn't right. go anywhere. We didn't. My son didn't come out. There, it was it was very low key, but it was. You know, it's nice just trying to navigate through, you know, through everything. And, you know, you always have that flip of the switch of 20, you know, a new year. Like, oh, God, 20, you know, thank God 2020 is <laughs> over. And then, you know, like a week, the first 10 days <laughs> oh, man, 2021, uh, you know, didn't inspire much confidence for, 20, for a new year being a better year. Really? No. Oh, my goodness. Uh, yeah, and we'll touch on a little bit of things that have happened uh, in, in the first few days of this year. Um, but really, what we're doing today is is we're, we're trying to approach some of the questions that have led to some of the events we've been wrestling with. We're trying to approach those questions of justice and race and things like even as fundamental as truth and faith. Um, we're getting at all these questions from a theological lens. And so if you've been listening, folks, for the last couple of weeks, uh, you know we've, we've taken a bit of a turn in this season. We're still talking about issues of race and justice and ethnicity and stuff like that. Um, but we're doing so from the categories of systematic theology. And so we are still in um, really one of the, the central uh, doctrines of the entirety of the Christian faith, and that's our doctrine of God. We spent time last week talking about God as Trinity and, and the importance of that doctrine as it helps us navigate some of these questions. We're going to still spend time in uh, the kind of the old-timey way of talking about this is theology proper. That's what we would call it, or doctrine of God. Um, we're going to talk about the attributes of God today, and particularly the attribute of, of God as creator but Lisa, as we start, I wonder if you could just talk us through um, what are the attributes of God again? And we talked, we touched on this last week some, but why less defining it, but more talking about why are the attributes of God so important for us as we engage into conversations of, of justice, race, and all that? Well, because it, it informs us regarding God's character, regarding his intentions, regarding our alignment with his expectations because listen he, he is god and we are not so we you know so we need to 
you know, we need to approach all of who he is with, in my opinion, immense humility. You know, I'm always drawn to that picture in Isaiah 6, you know, where he says, I'm an, a man of unclean lips, right? When he gets a, just a glimpse of the glory of God, and that is his response. And I think that when, when we think about all of who God is, that ought to be our response too. Yeah, I think so. And, and you know, one of the things that can be challenging as we talk about God's attributes is we are speaking about one who is so far beyond our comprehension mm -hmm. that we're, we're often kind of grasping at straws to describe who he is. Uh, and that's why we're going to need to spend some time talking about our doctrine of scripture. That's kind of the next step for us is after we talk about doctrine of God, we get into the doctrine of scripture a little bit more. And because this is the God, we, this is the God who reveals himself. So we're not talking about attributes of God purely from an empirical, evidential, observational lens. We are talking about the attributes of God as he has revealed himself to us in the pages of Scripture and how he has revealed himself in nature. Um, and so maybe it's, it's that that maybe becomes the bridge for us. God as creator. Um, why is this a doctrine that we need to, or at least maybe even better yet, why is this an attribute of God's identity mm -hmm. that we need to really focus in on when we talk about issues of justice and race? Well, I think you hit the nail on the head when you said it's a bridge, you know, that we you know. So we have, you know, we have what we know of the character and the nature of God and our tendency could be, you know, his, and he is, there's a transcendence and we need to respect that. Um, and at the same time, you know, we have scripture that informs us and his doc, his creation, God is creator, I believe, is where that transcendence uh, intersects with his eminence. Um, because, you know, God is creator. It, you know, he made the world for his purpose. He made us for his purpose and he interacts with it and to me this is the beauty of you know of god as creator not just that he created but that he interacts with his creation so that people would know him know who he is i think that's the even the way that the scriptures reveal this to us in the first couple chapters of genesis i think do hit us with those both of those truths he is the creator we see that very clearly in genesis 1 but the god who interacts with his creation that's what genesis 2 is all about it's it's the fact that god is created and remains connected to his creation through covenant relationship um and that's a lot of language we're going to have to unpack a little bit through this um and so you know as folks as you listen along to us know that we are going to talk about justice and race but our conversations about justice and race have to flow out of our theology. They're, they don't lead our theology, but they're the fruit of our theology. And so we got to do some theology and then maybe in the back part of our episode be able to, to touch on some of the things, uh, current event type things or, or larger conversations about race and justice. So, Lisa, one of the things that um, I wonder if you'd be able to share... When you read Genesis 1 and 2, what 
what is revealed to you about God as creator? What are some of the things that really come to the surface? So there is his eminence. Yes, there is his, his connection with creation. What else is there? Okay, so a couple things. One is his lordship, right? Um, mm. as, as I mentioned recently, I, I recently acquired uh, John Frame's Systematic Theology, and I've been digging in, and I absolutely love it. Um, and so I'm just going to read this because I think that that, you know, this is important. It, it says, in other ways, too, creation reveals God's lordship. It establishes God's ownership of all things and therefore his lordship over all his creation. And then he cites Psalm 24, 1 to 2. Now the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Because God has created all things, he has the right to do as he wishes with his own. Creation also displays God's lordship attributes. It displays his control because it establishes that he rules the world, not only throughout history, but at the beginning of history as well. And I think why that's important is what I see in the second, um, you know, the set, my second observation is that he, it is an ordered universe. Everything God created was good. He said at the end of each day, it, it, this is good, right? When he created man, it was man and, and it was ordered. It was, you know, man is not, are not animals, right? We, we, we are distinct from animals while we can, you know, talk about the image of God, that it's not something that's attributed to other parts of his creation. Um, and that he made people, man and woman, right? And so there's an order in the male, you know, the way he's, he's, uh, you know, and I don't want to, I, I don't want to use the word complimentary, but you know, for lack of a better word, um, that man and woman together, right, is supposed to go out, there was a mandate, be fruitful and multiply. And so what we see in that is goodness, it's orderedness, it's productivity, it's fruitfulness. Um, and so to me, that informs like, what we do in this creation, in this embodiment, has to point back to God's goodness because what we know is the fall, whereas God you know, created this goodness in his order, the fall disrupted that, right? And so as, as Christians, as redeemed people, and especially when we talk about um, you know, where, where areas of his creation has gone awry, you know, the, the question then has to, has to be asked, it points back to his original intention that we know in the end is going to wrap up, right? Where there's no more, uh, no more sin, no, the, you know, death, the final enemy is going to be eliminated. Um, and so you have that restoration of the perfection that he initially installed. And so as Christians, when we talk about these issues, like what, so then what is my response and responsibility, given that, you know, this God who not only created the universe is Lord over it, but also inner, you know, interacts with it. Well, then what can I do as a redeemed person who was born out of that original intention? Yeah, I mean, it, that's, oh man, there's so many different places we could go with this. Um, but I, I think, 
one of the one of the realities here of creation I, being ordered is that it's ordered according to God's design, right? It's 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 hard to talk about this from our perspective because we bring the fall into it with everything we see. We're so this is the the uh, the doctrine of total depravity that we'll get to one day um, is this idea that while we are not absolutely depraved in every way, every part of who we are is depraved by sin. It has been, um, it has been perverted and twisted away from God. And so what we have to do with the doctrine of creation is say, hey, when God created, he ordered it. And part of our role now is to reorder ourselves according to the order of how God has created things. Um, Because we we are a people who, uh, because of sin, thrive on disorder. Um, Or we like to bring our own perverted version of order and place it on God and say, well, God's a God of order. And I hear this sometimes, like, God's a God of order, yes, but when you look at um you know things like a, a, an ocean just think of the ocean and all the things happening in the ocean all the time it looks like total chaos mm-hmm. just because we don't see the order doesn't mean the order is there and just because we can create some order doesn't mean it's in line with god's order god designed the order and so it's us trying to uh, uh, reorient ourselves towards how god has made things rather than come up with our own orders. Because any order we have that's not in line with God is, by definition, a disorder. Uh, And so that's just, again, God is a God of order. It it doesn't, maybe it does play into some of the little things that we get hung up on in like church services and stuff. But that's not really what the doctrine is trying to hammer home. Right. And and I would say, I'm glad that you brought that up because early on when we started this part of the the series, I mentioned that one thing looking through the lens of systematic theology will do is temper that imposition, you know, that need to like kind of go, you know, uh, go go across the lines, if you will. Um, And I think that this is one area because when we talk about God's goodness, when we talk about what he had ordered, it does have to be according to him. That means we cannot then impose our own standards, right? And I'll take, and for example, um, you know, what is going on with gender, you know? And so gender is now detached from biology so that whatever you, if you, you know, conceive of yourself being of a different gender, and now there's more than two, which I don't even understand, but, um, that we can then say, well, it's unjust if we don't acknowledge this other gender or if we don't acknowledge this this detachment. Well, no, that's not justice, right? Or, or anything that addresses that to supposedly correct this disorder, that's not justice. And and I think in the same ways we kind of have to do, we, we have to do that with how we treat race as well. Right. Because, well, and, and I know this will, will I think, you know, we, we've talked about this already, but it bears repeating of that, you know, right, the, the concept of race was a social construct and it was designed to create a hierarchy of people so that, you know, so that correction that we're wanting to do, it has to be in line with how God made us, what God said, what he intended. 
And we can't just then go apply any type of methodology into and call it a correction and call it justice if it's not. Well, and I think, you know, having God's order in mind does really help us with the race conversation because what racism does is it by creating a hierarchy, it adds its own version of order to what God has already ordered. So what you, you talked earlier about, you have these, uh, the, fir the first chapter of Genesis shows them to be days, and we're not going to get into whether that's a literal day or a frame or any, not doing that. Yeah, it, was, and but, it wasn't the point anyway. And it wasn't the point of Genesis 1. Um, the point of Genesis 1 is to demonstrate the orderly of God's creation, the orderliness of his creation, and to demonstrate that this thing called humanity is the pinnacle of God's creation. If we take that pinnacle and we put some sort of racial caste system onto it, we have fundamentally disordered what God has created. He created humanity to be thoroughly uh, equal with one another in every way. Uh, he created all of humanity in God's image. Man and women he created in God's image and in his likeness. There was a fundamental equality in his creation. Now, we can get into uh, gender conversations later, maybe. I think that might be a good thing to do and, and walk mm -hmm. through. When we get to doctrine of man or anthropology in a few episodes, the gender conversation is one we've got to have. Right. Um, but I, I think when it comes to the larger uh, categories of race, and, and we can, again, I know gender is a large category. We will touch on that. To, to have any form of ethnic superiority one over the other is a fundamental perversion of what God has done in Genesis 1 and 2. And here's how we know this. We know that within the order that God has created, diversity was built in. Um, according to their kinds is repeated over and over again in Genesis 1 to show that there were multiple kinds of all of these things. And when you get to kind of the, the concluding statement, Genesis 2 verse 1, thus the heavens and the earth were completed. So this is like the, this is the end of everything. It was completed in all their vast array. That is uh, one of the more beautiful statements of God's plan for his creation. It was always to be thoroughly diverse at every tier of that, uh, of that creation. So diversity in plant life is creational. Diversity in the animals, diversity even in the kinds of rocks that are created. And think about, I mean, geology is this incredible science. We're looking at all these different kinds of rocks made up by all these different kinds of things, all each and every pebble created by the God of the universe. People were created to be diverse as well. And so um, uniformity is actually anti-creational. There is not supposed to be uniformity in the kingdom of God. Unity in Christ is not the same as uniformity. And so diversity of the people who come in to the kingdom of God is not something that's suddenly wiped out. Oh, well, we're one in Christ, so we need to throw all that diversity out. No, from the beginning, it was supposed to be diverse. Diversity is a, a beautiful hallmark of a creator's heart. He's a creator. He's creative. And we don't want to lose that when we look at other doctrines that would seem to indicate, well, we're all, you know, we're all one in Christ. So does that mean we lose everything that's distinct? Absolutely not. Because before the fall, 
diversity was prized and was good and was celebrated in Genesis 2 verse 1. Right. And I would say also when you talk when I you know we talk about my observations from the first two chapters of Genesis, there is diversity, but there's also harmony. There is an expectation mm, of harmony. Yes. So man and woman, and we know that that is representative. It's not just you know the you know male gender and the female gender. It's it's humanity. Yeah. That's comprised yeah. of men, men, men and women, and so then if you want to put that you know that that extra layer of diversity, you know, the mandate to be fruitful and multiply. And that's, that was more than just having babies. Yeah. Right. It was being stewards over God's creation that reflects back to his glory. Yeah. Um, and so people, I mean, that there should be, you know, we talk about diversity, a diversity of, of, you know, ethnicities, there should be a harmony in, you know, in that, that's what I see in the original mandate. Yeah. Amen. And, and I like that word harmony because it, if you know music, you know that harmony is two different distinct things that each play their value. That's how you get a harmony. You get a harmony when two notes are played that are different, but each carry their weight. And so harmony is not, hey, we want to bring you into our church, but sit down and be quiet and stay over there. We really need you when we're going to take our photo for our church website. But the rest of the time, just no, absolutely not. Harmony allows every single person from every ethnicity to be able to speak the truth of God together. That's how we harmonize. We have different perspectives that our diversity brings, and that's how we have the beautiful harmony, this the symphony that is the Church of Jesus Christ, which is a, a kind of a forerunner of the new creation, which will be the the beauty of the harm, harmonious church really displayed wide uh, throughout all of creation. And so we, we want to make sure that when we talk through the the things about diversity uh, that it's that it's not diversity for diversity's sake it's diversity for god's creative goals sake it's again it's ordering according to how god has ordered things not just because we want to hit a certain uh statistical well, we represent you know we get this in church planting and in church ministry we well, want to make sure you represent your community hmm. that's true but that's not the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal is to demonstrate the beauty of God's diverse creation in humanity to a world that says we should all be separate from one another. Right. And, you know, and I think what really helps in that perspective is considering the church from a global perspective, right? Yes. Because we, you know, I think we're, we, we kind of get stuck, especially with, with the conversate, the way that the conversations are going, you know, here recently is that we get stuck on the black and white and we lose the perspective i think of what god intended in that diversity the fact that there are you know i think of uh, Acts seventeen twenty six, you know people have been placed you know in various yeah. places and so in those different places you have you know different languages different cultures uh different physical features and, you know, and so the church, you know, when we think about the church globally, we can think about that level of diversity. You know, the fact that it's all one family of God, those who are in Christ, it's one family of God. But yet this 
just this this beautiful array of of different cultures that are supposed to work in harmony yes with one another yes the global church is a is a wonderful uh demonstration uh of what we see jesus say that that even the gates of hell will not prevail against the church the the global church is a diverse representation of everything God has, has planned to do from the beginning. That we have Christians in every corner of the globe praising the name of Jesus. It is diverse. So one of the things that's, I think, helpful in the in the kind of ecclesial diversity conversations, it, do we need to be a diverse church? All right, pause. We are a diverse church. That's just how it, that, that's always the case because there's Christians from all these different cultures today it's we are diverse the question then becomes are we able in our context in our local church to display that ourselves some churches are not i mean it, you go to a, this is where i think the insanity of the diversity com, um, conversation can go if it is a mandate that every local church must be ethnically diverse what, what are you going to say to folks in it, who are just trying to survive being a christian in north korea yeah. You should have had a you should have had a Latino at the pulpit at some point. <laughs> like what are we what are we doing? No, it, it is the diversity conversation in the United States or in portions of Europe is able to happen because our context is so diverse. Mm -hmm. But the church is already diverse by God simply seeding the church throughout the world. That what we were promised in Acts one that the gospel will go out from Jerusalem until the ends of the earth happened and we get to live in the fruit of what god has already done uh, our global workers are seeing the fields continue to be brought in for harvest it's incredible what's happening but we want to make sure that we're we're not having these conversations about justice and ethnicity and race with only the united states in mind saying oh my goodness we're not a diverse church we are the american manifestation of the church might need some help here but the church as a whole globally is diverse. Yes. Yes, I agree. Uh, all right. Uh, we're we're going to, I want to apply this now a little bit because this is um, a couple things that we've been talking about uh, that have happened in the news recently. And it has to do with the fall and how that's affected creation. Uh, when we think about the, the terrible things that happened in Washington, D.C., at the beginning of January and January 6th, um, the fallout of that and the days following, Lisa, I wonder, our understanding of God as creator, how can God as creator, how can that actually help us wrestle with the things that we saw that happen in Washington? How can the mm -hmm. good theology help us move past this somehow mm -hmm. and i think so you know we're going to have to take it beyond genesis 1 and 2 right mm -hmm. and you know we talk about the establishment of governments right um and you know the fact that i know we talked about this last season and that the passage is eluding me right now um you know that god created governments for you know for good even though we know there are not good governments i mean right. the nazi government was evil right <laughs> you right. know the government the, the you know the government the roman republic in the early you know that persecuted the early church was evil 
But at the same time, you know, when you, especially when you look at the United States and the fact that it was built, you know, I, I would not say it's a Christian nation, but certainly when our framers, um, you know, put together our founding principles, the there are biblical principles clearly at play. And you can see that absolutely. even in the language. Yes, you know, absolutely. that we have inalienable, um, inalienable rights that are endowed by our creator. So the government then is a recognizer, not a distributor, but mm. a recognizer um, of that. And so, you know, go, you know, for government. So there, so there should be on some level and especially for a government that was founded on Christian principles, kind of a respect for it. Now, we know that there was an influence, you know, there were other influences, you know, through the Enlightenment um, that, you know, that that influence structure. Right. So we have, you know, the the idea that the, the framers had that, you know, they were escaping tyranny. Right. The, the tyranny of, you know, a, a kingship. And so the, the fact that we have three branches of government that you know, that there's a separation of powers. There are checks and balances. Um, and so I think, you know, there, there, there ought to be some kind of respect for that, knowing that man is depraved. You know, man is not always going, we're supposed to be a self-governing people, but then the genius of our, uh, of our framers recognize that man is not always going to do what is right. And so when we talk about this, this idea of creation, right, that creation actually establishes God's justice based on who he is, looking at all of his attributes, um, that what we saw, I believe, was, a, was really a lot of disorder. Um, it was, again, you know, we talk about the impact of the fall. And one of the, the impacts of the fall, I love how Carl Ellis puts it, it, he refers to creaturism, you know, all the isms that point to ourselves um, that we want to implement instead of submission to God's commands. Um, and so it's, you know, what's, what's in it for me? Um, and so when you take that in a collective sense, um, you know, there were people who really believed that they were being robbed of something and therefore justified this chaos and this violence in which, you know, people died. Um, and so that is just the opposite of what God intended when he laid out the, you know, his creation, you know, put people in place and how they were supposed to do it be fruitful and multiply. What we saw was just the opposite. It was chaotic. It was violent. It was not good. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think one of the, the things that was tough to see was the way that this was being kind of leveraged as uh, Christian by some. Um, and, and I think it's just... It, we know it's not. We know it's not Christian. Um, because we do believe in a creator who has instituted things like government for our good. Um, are there limits on government that are appropriate? Yes. Uh, where are those limits supposed to lie? Well, guess what? 
Now you've gotten to the age-old debate between Democrats and Republicans. What is the limit of government, right? Um, but whether or not there should be a government that ought to be respected, yes. And, and I think our own standards would say that that's supposed to be the case, that the, the government is there to um, make sure that the church can do her work. That's part of the government's role. When the government oversteps the church's ability to do her work, I understand there would be some frustration. But I think it has to be made clear, the government has not done that. The government has not done that. Is there a potential of the government doing that in the yes. future? Sure. Sure there is. Are they doing it now? No. And so, as long as the government is performing its function, and its primary function according to the Westminster Standards, if, if you want to know where I'm coming from this, um, you can go to uh, chapter 23 of the Westminster Standards, kind of the revised American version, because we don't have a, a, a monarch or a magistrate in that way um, as it was originally. But I, I, I think if you read that, what you see is that the government's role is to, to provide the space for the church to do her work and as long as the government is doing that, we have no right, no right to rebel against her. I am a big fan of protest. I'm a big fan of protest. I, I think protest is good. I think it's important. I think it is uh, a beautiful thing that in the United States of America, you get to protest whatever it is you want to protest without fear of getting cracked down on. I think that's awesome. Um, I have no problem with the protests that happened on January 6th. None. I think the protesting was fine. It was when the protests became violent. A lot of people make the analog to what happened over the summer, and I'm not going to say whether or not that's a fair analog, but I will say this, that when the protests turned violent and things were being destroyed, that was wrong. It was wrong. The protests that became violent in the Capitol were wrong, and we know this. So what is right? What is right is for us to be able as Christians to say, God has given us government for the protection of the church, for the good of the church, for the good of the family. There are three institutions, the government, the church, and the family. These are three things that God has created. How do we now pour into our churches, pour into our families, support our elected leaders, hold our elected leaders to account? Yes, do that work in a way that respects life. Six people dead. A couple of these deaths of police officers in, in horrific ways. We want to make sure that we are um, we are not giving into disorder because that's what sin is going to want us to do. Give into disorder away from how God has ordered things in his creation. And uh, so I think that's that's how I'm trying to think this through. How do we help people kind of reorder their loves is a way that maybe James K. A. Smith would put it. Um, how, how do we make sure that even our allegiances have creational order to them mm -hmm. and that our order is to Christ in his way and the fruit of the spirit and not particular allegiances in this earthly realm? Right. And in this earthly realm, in this earthly realm, we have absolutely no guarantee that, you know, because it's a corrupted world and nations rise and fall. We have absolutely no guarantee that we're going to hey, have a particular kind of government, that we're going to have the government we want, that we're going to have the leaders that we want. And, you know, what really struck me 
um, you know, throughout all of this is that when I look at the New Testament epistles, they were written to Christians who had no political or social power. And we have to ask the question, especially for those who are in favor of, you know, of what happened, you know, that was built on this narrative of a, of a stolen election. What exactly were you protesting? What exactly were you after? You know, what exactly was so that you felt so robbed of, that you felt so entitled to, that that, you know, situation, that scenario, that violence was justified? And, you know, and, and at the end of the day, you have to ask the question, and, and especially if we, we contrast that to what we see in Scripture, you know, is what is what you are after in heaven as on earth, you know, is what you are after is something that is, you know, again, that falls in line with God's orderliness. And I'd have to say, no, we're not guaranteed that our, our you know, look at our brothers and sisters, uh, uh, you know, in areas around the world who, you know, aren't granted the freedoms that we have. You know, and, and in places where the church is actually thriving. I mean, the church has been growing in China, in yeah. Iran. You know, how, how do you explain that? Muslims coming to Christ. And I think even in the United States, we have evidence of the church thriving in the midst of persecution. And, and that's why I think the black church has so much to teach the broader American church. Because the, our African-American brothers and sisters for generations were faithful followers of Jesus Christ in the midst of the most profound injustices. And so what is it that we can learn now and say, listen, they were willing to follow after and love the Lord no matter what injustice came their way. They had their loves rightly ordered. Are we willing to do the same? And I think for so many, this is relatively new, this sense of persecution, the sense of they're against me. But if you read, um, you know, we talked about, uh, you know, um, uh, Booth, who wrote Plain Theology for Plain People. When you read some of the civil rights pastors, what you hear are people who are writing good Christian theology from a place of suffering, from a place of having the government put against them. And so I wonder, how, what can we learn? How do we move forward? How do we look forward um, towards, uh, yes, God's kingdom come and his will done on earth as it is in heaven? How do we work towards that in Christian ways? But man, Christian ways better mean that if you're working towards this, and I'm preaching it myself here for a second, if you're working towards this, your work better look like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. Because if it doesn't, the Holy Spirit's not the one who's at work. Your flesh is the one that's at work, and it's going to be counterproductive. Um, any last words for us, Lisa? No, I, I just, I, I, I do think, you know, in this series, again, because we started with this talking about the doctrine of God, and I can only encourage that, you listen, I know we have our 
our, our passions, you know, for what what we feel is right, right? So when we talk about race and justice, we, and especially looking at our history, and so there's a sense of, you know, it, it needs to be made right. And sometimes, you know, that looking right may lead us to, um, you know, to grab hold of certain methodologies that, that really aren't productive. And so it's the same with our politics, right? And, and what we expect from America. Um, and so we, you know, again, it's us, in, 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 it's infusing us into the equation um, with our, you know, our various partisan interest. Um, and so what the doctrine of God, I think, in all of this ought to, you know, cause us to at least step back and, you know, and ask some questions like, am I, am I really approaching this right? Am I thinking about this right? Am I even, you know, using the word of God in a way that is, you know, is, is more orienting my partisan interest than it is ordering me? you know, in terms in falling in line with with what God expects and who he is. Amen. Well, I'll let you have the last word on that one. Thank you, Lisa, for joining me again today. Thank you all for listening. Um, we are going to keep going. System, systematic theology has a whole lot of different things to talk about, so we're going to do this for a while. I uh, hope that you're with us again next week as we continue uh, to have a good family discussion. God bless. Well, thank you again for joining us for this week's family discussion. If you'd like to learn more or catch up on episodes you missed, head on over to our home at reformedmargins.com. There you'll find great content about a whole host of issues that we pray will bless your relationship with Jesus, including articles written by Lisa Spencer and me, Marcos Ortega. Family Discussion is a podcast of Reform Margins, a site dedicated to providing a platform for people of color to engage the larger Reformed and Evangelical conversations. Your hosts are Marcos Ortega and Lisa Spencer. Our producer is Larry Lynn. Family Discussion is hosted by Podbean and recorded with Audacity. If you like what you heard today, it would be a great help to us if you gave a quick review and rating on iTunes. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to your favorite content so that you don't miss our next family discussion. <laughs>